Uh, we're going to jump into our study this morning on why Israel matters. And I'm kind of excited. I was planning on just going through one study as we are working our way through the book of Romans verse by verse. And as you guys know, just the study of God's word is fruitful, uh, especially when we take in the whole counsel of God. Romans has been wonderful. If you're newer to freedom, I'd encourage you to jump on our uh, website, check out the studies from uh, Romans, uh, even chapter eight. We slowed down a little bit, jumped into several studies there, but we're going to start working our way through chapters nine, 10, and 11, which will be in nine next week, which is one of the most um, probably debated <laughs> chapters in all the Bible. Uh, I don't see it that hard to understand but it's also one of the neatest and lays down some very cool foundational things for us in Christ. So you guys can read ahead your homework for next week, Romans 9. But it deals with Israel, and we really want to get a grasp because the Bible speaks so much about why Israel matters and uh, why she matters to God. Uh, so I would encourage you to catch the last couple studies. I was just planning on doing one study on why Israel matters so much, and it's turned into three. And this morning, we're going to be looking into why prophecy, uh, specifically surrounding the nation of Israel, um, what the Bible has to say. And there's much we can't get to, but we're going to get to some of the biggies together this morning. So really, the reason why we're devoting so much time to this is because the Bible really speaks to Israel. I mean, uh, five, six of the Bible is speaking about Israel specifically or the Jewish people um, directly or indirectly. So, so much of God's word comes around Israel. She does matter. Uh, when it comes to prophecy, guys, you can study it out, but so much prophecy, especially when we're talking end time prophecy, it's like Israel's the time clock. We can watch her, even her coming back into the land in 1948 and things that are uh, playing out. We're seeing prophecy being fulfilled and it's really around Israel. Um, so it's good to look at her as kind of that time clock as things come together. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I also want to point out that the world, um, a reason why we should have a grasp on what's going on with Israel and why she matters is the world also devotes a lot of time and energy. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but when the UN gets together, uh, two-thirds of her time are spent on Israel, dealing with her and the surrounding countries and everything. So we see it everywhere. You guys may watch the news, MSNBC, you know, throwing out stuff. Hey, you know, is this Ezekiel 38, 39? What? That deals with Israel. You know, we see on Fox, you know, talking about, is this Armageddon? Is the rapture going to happen? These kind of things are in secular media. So it's kind of neat when we consider um, that there's no other world conflicts going on that really gets 24-hour uh, news coverage. Little bitty Israel, okay? It's just crazy. So I think it's good for us to, you know, pay attention to Israel, especially, especially biblically speaking. That's what I want to do with you guys this morning. So it follows, guys, you know, if the Bible and the world devote so much time to the topic, I think we as Christians really need to be educated. And that's why we've slowed down a little bit, really taking our time to dive in uh, to Israel, you know, and how we as Christians really should be responding or how we should be concerned or considering Israel as a whole. Uh, but it's not just Israel that is both, uh, you know, in the Bible and in the news, okay? We see a lot of things going on uh, that the Bible speaks to that are currently happening today. 
Um, you think about Syria, the Bible talks about in the end days. Well, that's actually Damascus, okay? Uh, we hear Damascus in the uh, <coughs> news, Syria, Lib Lebanon, okay? That's Tyre and Sidon, which the Bible talks about. Iran, you guys know that's Persia in the Bible. We hear about Iran all the time. And then Iraq, okay, um, called Babylon in the Bible. And you guys know that Babylon's around in end-time prophecy? Well, you guys can look. Over the last 40 years, they've been rebuilding, pouring in billions of dollars to rebuilding Babylon. <laughs> really? Check it out. It's pretty crazy. Anyways, nations, cities, along with Israel and Jerusalem, uh, we hear in the news every single day. Um, in the Bible, it's cool because... God spoke about these things thousands of years earlier. And that's the cool thing about the word of God and that we can actually know it's supernatural because it has prophecy. It foretells the future and only God can foretell the future. That's why we don't see prophecy fulfilled in any other religious writings. And that's one way we can know that the Bible is legit, that God really is God, that Jesus really is the savior of the world, uh, that there is hope that he loves us. I love it. Anyways, um, so let's dive in this morning. We're going to look at why, okay, and dealing specifically today uh, with God's prophecies concerning Israel. I want you guys to remember the outline from the last few studies. We looked at uh, God's purposes in Israel. We looked at God's promises in Israel. Last time we looked at God's preservation. I mean, even that they're together as a people, after being disbanded for so many years, um, God just uh, preserving them. And then fourthly, God's promises now today uh, concerning Israel, prophetically speaking. So what does the future hold for Israel? I'm glad you asked. Okay, we're going to look into that and some of the surrounding uh, that I just previously mentioned, different nations that intersect with Bible prophecy when it comes to Israel. So we'll look at three uh, key pro uh, prophetic passages together this morning, which I laid out for you, Ezekiel 38, 39, Isaiah 17, and then we'll jump into Zechariah 12 and 14. The first one we want to look at together is found here in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we don't have time to go through the entire thing in depth. Uh, would be great to do. But these you know, two chapters, they discuss and they detail so much therein. I asked you guys to do your homework and read through those chapters. You saw a lot of detail, a lot of specific things that are going to be going on um, in the last days. So... Uh, I want to encourage you guys, uh, keep checking those, you know, chapters out, read through them. Uh, but here are some of the basics when we consider uh, these two chapters. They're commonly referred to as the Magog invasion, which speaks of a battle of this confederacy of nations coming together. Um, and they're going to attack Israel. I can't see that happening, Pastor. What are you talking about? Well, then your head's in the sand, okay? <laughs> You're ignoring what's been on the news. We've seen this at least my entire lifetime, man. People have just wanted to wipe Israel off the map, make war with her, be done with her. A lot of hostilities towards the Jews throughout uh, world history, even up to this day. So uh, there's nothing new there. But as we've seen, guys, this happened throughout uh, both biblical and modern history over and over again, just wars uh, being made uh, with Israel against her. Um, so there really is nothing new there. And as we saw last time, 
the Lord is, you know, he's not done with Israel. He still has um, things he told us biblically that he's still going to do. And I think about the cool thing, okay, when uh, Jesus returns, okay, where is he going to return? The Mount of Olives there in Israel is going to rule from Jerusalem. Um, even the temple is going to be rebuilt, okay? The temple is going to be standing when it returns, and that's something that's in the works today. They got everything put together and ready to go. They just need the okay to build it. So things are very exciting. So <clears throat> Ezekiel 38, let's take a look at a few verses together this morning. We'll look at the first six here. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, of the land of Magog, okay, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal, the prophet prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your armies, horses, and horsemen. And splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with a shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So let's identify just for a moment modern nations, okay, areas that correspond with these ancient names that are mentioned here. Some are really easy to do and are just like, hey, I see that, that makes sense, but some are more difficult. And the thing is, scholars don't always agree on them and that's okay, okay? Linguistically, historically, different things have shaken out. Uh, but we identify these areas, you know, as we do, and you guys will see, you know, that there's uh, many lengthy studies, uh, commentary that speak in to this, different investigations, explanations, you know, four different takes on it. So that's why I tell you guys, do your homework, look into it. So if you guys look at verse two, it talked about the land of Magog, Rosh, and Meshesh, and, and Tubal there. Okay, so... Uh, for all intents and purposes, these ancient names are most readily identified with the area that we refer to today as Russia. So those would be those in the north there, the remotest parts of the north. If you look at chapter 39, verse 2, okay, the parts more, most northern, that would be Russia over there. In verse 5 here, it tells us about Persia. So this one's very simple. This is known as Iran, okay? And if you guys know anybody uh, from Iran, you know, you ask them, hey, what are you? They're going to tell you that they are Persian, okay? So that makes sense. Also, we see Ethiopia and Kush in verse 5 here. That would be actually today modern-day Sudan. We have Put in verse 5. That would be North Africa, east um, of Egypt. Includes Libya, Algeria, Morocco, um, Gomer we're uh, seeing here also in verse 5. This is a little bit harder to identify, but there is a reason to believe this includes uh, modern parts of Europe. And then Beth Togarma, okay, in verse 5, that's also Turkey or East Turkey, okay. Um, you Uzbekistan, Kogstan, 
uh, Turkmenistan, uh, all these areas. But one immediately begins to ask as you guys consider and you look at these uh, different ancient cities or areas, what do they all have in common? Okay, great. <laughs> Who cares about what's the point? What do they have in common? Well, you know, <laughs> all these nations which literally surround Israel, okay, what they all have in common, okay, combined, they're all going to come against Israel, okay, which really is ex um, with the exception of those parts of northern Russia in Europe, um, okay. Uh, these are all Muslim nations devoted really, um, <clears throat> they're run by Islam, okay? And Islam wants to destroy the Jewish people and Christians, by the way. Uh, there are no more, uh, you know, today there's more mosques in London than there are churches. And, and we see, uh, yeah, just the growth of Islam has been crazy over there um, the last 1,500 years. But Islam is really... Uh, shaping the world's thinking, shaping uh, Europe as a whole, um, staking out their place in Europe. We're beginning to see a little bit of that here in the West, but it, it's there. Um, Muslims are growing nine times faster uh, in Europe uh, than the Europeans themselves. Um, for the first time in history, guys, Muslims are building uh, large and growing minorities across really all the secular world, even the Western world, uh, no more visible than really Western uh, Europe. So the numbers have more than doubled uh, just in the past 20 years. Okay, so growing like crazy. Uh, things are really working out, being put into place like we read about right here in the last days, uh, what's going to happen in this war. So just as Egypt and Pakistan and Iran are witnessing the debate over uh, really the shape of Israel, or, uh, sorry, Islam and how it's going to look and play out uh, in the world. We really see uh, things emerging to what the backdrop is going to look like uh, for tomorrow. So there is a growing presence of radical Islam today in Europe, okay? And there's well over 25 million uh, today. So Islam does not have... Uh, have to have a reason, okay, that some European countries, you know, um, <laughs> you know, have to actually join Magog, okay, in the Magog invasion, okay, it can be economic or political reasons, you know, um, but it really comes down to what it's going to be is Islam itself, okay, that's going to be the catalyst, that's what's bringing them together to be a part of uh, this confederate you know, group of nations coming against Israel itself. I want you guys also to please note this. The conflict in the Middle East, it, it really isn't political, okay? Therefore, it's not going to be politically solved. We see a lot going on in the world today, uh, and we see the things that are wrong, and we place our hope in uh, politics. And some things, guys, it's it's got to be God. You know, and some things, as we see here, it's a religious thing. You know, we have the powers of darkness coming against the living God and his people. Um, the other countries that are mentioned here uh, are clearly Islamic, okay? When we talk about, you know, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, Libya, Tunisia, El Algeria, Morocco, Sudan, and Iran, and so on. Guys, we see biblically and very clearly 
uh, the Bible predicts that these nations are involved in the invasion of Israel. So the common link again is Islam. So two questions I think that you and I must ask, okay? One, is Islam hostile towards Israel? And the second one, why would Russia, if we're correctly identifying uh, them of Magog, okay, uh, be partnered with such nations? Well, I think the first uh, answer to the first question is duh, is Islam hostile towards Israel, okay? But do you realize to what degree, I guess, they have hostilities towards Israel? I mentioned before that they won't even recognize her and put her on a map, okay? Um, you see, Islam refers to the Jews and Christians uh, by the way as being descendants of apes and pigs. Really, Pastor? Is that really what they call the Jews, okay? Is that really how they see them? Well, you can read in their own book, the Quran, Surah 2, 65, 5, 60, and 7, 166. They all say it. So that's how the Muslim is to view the Jew. Um, I really quickly want to share a quote from Dr. Fazel Al-Khwazam, okay? Al-Jirah. Um, the sons of Zion, he says, whom our God described as the sons of apes and pigs will not be deterred unless there is a real Holocaust that will destroy all of them at once, together with the traitors, those who collaborate with them, the scum of the Islamic nation. So uh, we see this, um, the teachers of Islam, there, uh, <laughs> there are some that are quite radical. Um, and it's hard because most Muslims that we will meet uh, are peaceable. At least they're telling us that they're peaceable Muslims because they're actually told in the Quran to lie to us for their purposes. So we don't really know or can't really trust according to their own religion what they're saying. Uh, but for the most part, okay, uh, the Muslims I've met have been very uh, peaceable, loving, caring people. And I have had my share of encounters with some hostile Muslims. Again, it's not just Jews. They hate Christians also. Um, and it's because we have the same God, okay? The true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, I want to share another quote from Amos Leftist. He said, we are announcing a war against the sons of apes and pigs, the Jews, which will not end until the flag of Islam is raised in Jerusalem. So, they have a goal. Dr. Amud Abu Halbaya, uh, <clears throat> rector of uh, advanced studies in uh, Islamic University, explained this. He said, the Jews are the Jews. And he goes on to say, they do not have any moderates or any advocates of peace. They are all liars. They must be butchered and must be killed. The Jews are like a spring. As long as you step on it with your foot, it doesn't move. But if you lift your foot from the spring, it hurts you and punishes you. It is forbidden to have mercies in your hearts for the Jews in any place and in any land. Make war on them anywhere that you find yourself in place that you may meet them. Kill them. Wow. And then we know the former Iranian president, uh, Mohammed uh, Ahmadinejad, 
uh, dad, uh, declared, okay, that Israel is a disgraceful blot. It needs to be wiped off the map. Um, and that's really been the uh, role of Iran, okay? Uh, at least my entire lifetime, okay? Uh, they utterly just want to destroy Israel. And this is what uh, the Muslim wor world is being taught. This is what their own religious book has told them. Uh, so Israel knows that its enemy is Islam. It's not a certain country, okay, or a certain person. It's Islam as a whole. I want you guys to take a look at this up on the screen, okay? Uh, this is the Israeli Air Force patch that they have, okay? And here, you guys know the crescent moon symbolizes Islam, so the eagle there uh, coming down, um, tearing apart, attacking Islam, okay? So they even get that. So really the goal of Iran is to really unite uh, the entire Muslim world to really, uh, you know, dominate and destroy, utter destruction of Israel. So there's this conflict that's been going on, Iran and Israel. Um, it's, it's ancient, okay, but it's also spiritual. And we need to see that and discern that. And I think that's why we're exhorted to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So the prince of the Persia, um, of Persia that we read about. You guys remember Daniel chapter 10? Uh, while Daniel was where? In Iraq, okay? It says in Daniel 10, verses 12 and 13, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, so Michael the archangel, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So there is this whole spiritual realm over Persia going on and battles going on there, um, even back in Daniel's day. So the spiritual reality behind the conflict really is Satan's attempt, and I want us to get this and to understand this, uh, to really mar the image of God by having uh, him fill his word, his promises, uh, his promise specifically to Israel. Uh, the second question that I threw out there and that we should consider is why would Russia, if we have clearly identified Russia as Magog be partnered with such nations? Well, the answer is uh, it already is. Okay, if we step back and just see what's been going on between these nations um, in the last you know uh, few decades here, it's very interesting because Russia is one who arms Iran. Okay, helping them out, giving them the weapons. Persia, um, that Russian you know views Iran you know, is non-threat to peace in the Middle East um, and international security. It's crazy. It's also interesting, Russia does not include Hezbollah, who is armed, trained, and being financed by Iran as a terrorist organization. That's crazy. And then Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, they're not even on Russia's terrorist list at all. Check it out. It's crazy. So Hezbollah is this current conflict, you know, is really doing the bidding 
of Iran. So it's conceivable that the conflict continues to escalate, that Israel and Iran become directly engaged, okay? And that may be the hook in the jaw that we read about in verse 4 in Ezekiel 38 here that God uses to draw Russia then into the conflict. So if Russia comes against Israel, as we see here in Ezekiel 38, it says it will, united with the Islamic powers of Iran, it's very easy to see how these countries like uh, Sudan in the rest of North Africa and Turkey and its Muslim neighbors uh, to the east, how easy it would be just to join in, you know, uh, and come against Israel. So when might this battle take place? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, we know for sure that it's still future, okay? It's going to happen. We can see the stage being set, okay? Um, but exactly when, it's a subject of debate. And I have a really hard time when prophecy teachers say, hey, see, this is happening right before us. Um, I've seen that, you know, said over and over again over the years, and they were wrong. So we need to be very careful. Yeah, we may see things being put into place, the stage being set, but we don't know exactly when. And some of the guys that uh, we look to, okay, and some of the guys you may enjoy uh, reading some of their, you know, prophetic intake uh, scripturally, you know, David Hawking, okay, he's a guy uh, has a love for Israel, uh, loves eschatology, preaching to it. He believes that this uh, Magog invasion is going to happen during Armageddon. Okay, some of you guys are familiar with Dave Hunt. He also thinks it's Armageddon. Randall Price, he thinks it's going to be after the rapture, but before the great tribulation. Jacob Prosh, in the middle of the tribulation. So there's a lot of debate, okay, uh, on when this is actually going to happen. I don't really know personally. Um, yeah. But we know it's yet future. We know things are coming together. We know God's faithful to his word. We know he's going to preserve Israel through it too. That's pretty awesome. Uh, let's move on. Let's take a look into chapter 39 now of Ezekiel. Jump all the way down to verse 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt in the safety in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and I've gathered them out of their enemies' lands and I am hallowed, hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I, verse 29, will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord. That's pretty cool. Um, so we definitely see some of the players being more and more stirred up, okay? Um, one thing's very interesting in the list of the nations, okay, that we read through. There, there's two glaring things, I think, that we uh, can see when it comes to Iraq 
in Syria, both historically and notoriously enemies to Israel. Um, it should be obvious to you uh, now why Iraq is not part of the confederacy of nations, okay? Uh, but what about Syria, okay? They've been involved in every conflict that Israel's had since 1948. Think about that. Which brings us to another prophecy that we find in, uh, sorry, Isaiah here. Let's take a look at chapter 17. So if you want to flip there in your Bibles, we're going to look at the first four verses together. Here in Isaiah 17, another prophet of the Lord. He says, the burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. What? Now think about this. If they attack, okay, and Israel defends herself, does she have the capabilities to take out Damascus? Absolutely, okay? So this is something Damascus 1 needs to be there in the land. And guess what? It is still there today. You think about all the different cities mentioned in the Bible. How many are still around today? Think about it. That's so cool. Here's Bible prophecy, end times. Okay, Damascus is going to be destroyed, a ruinous heap. Look at verse 2 here. It says, the cities of Er-or are forsaken and will be for flocks which lie down and no one will make them afraid and the forest also will cease from Ephraim the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria they will be as the glory of the children of Israel says the Lord of hosts in that day shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane and the fatness of his flesh will grow lean so this is still future guys and the current conflict may well be really setting the stage for its fulfillment. If Damascus is destroyed, it will be the question, you know, it's going to be, but when? Again, when? We don't know. It's open for debate. Um, but then we would account for the absence of Syria in that list. And that's why I share that with you guys of the nations that will come uh, with Magog there in Ezekiel 38. So the results of God's uh, intervention in the conflict are really seen in chapter 39 verses 25 to 29 which now brings us to the last passage i want to look at towards the old testament let's turn to zechariah now there are a bunch of end time prophecies there we're going to look at just a little bit uh, in chapter 12 and 14 so let's take a look chapter 12 of zechariah so look at the first three verses here. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of the man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness or a cup of trembling to all surrounding peoples. Hmm, that is the case today, isn't it? And when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem... And it shall happen in that day, <coughs> I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. All nations of the earth. Okay. It's been in my lifetime, um, just a 
few presidents back, uh, we had our first president to threaten Israel, okay? Uh, we just have seen just even recent weeks, the last couple of weeks, okay, just uh, our government, okay, um, our, our liberal friends um, wanting to pull away any support or blessing um, that we are in the States uh, to Israel, you guys, and we're one of the few, if only, ally to Israel, which I think is significant. You guys have heard me talk to that. But let's go on here in Zechariah 12. Jump down to verse 8 with me. It says, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them in the day, uh, that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that uh, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Oh, who is that? This is God speaking through his prophet. Well, when was God pierced? Guys, do you know that Jesus is God? That God came 2,000 years ago and died upon the cross? Do you know that the Jews rejected him? Okay, they're the ones who cried out to Rome. We want him crucified, right? And isn't this so cool that he's going to come back to his own and they're going to look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And it's so cool when we see uh, a Jewish person come to faith in the Messiah, in Jesus. Uh, it is a beautiful thing and we pray all the time that their eyes would be open that they would see their need uh, of their savior who is jesus because they missed it but when christ returns guys they're going to see clearly and they're going to mourn like oh we missed it <laughs> you were the messiah you are our savior uh gonna be quite a day can't wait for that uh let's jump over to chapter 14 zechariah 14 i know this is super small up on the screen here, but I'm going to look at 11 verses here with you guys. In Zechariah 14, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Isn't it? Just let's pause for a second, okay? This couldn't have happened 100 years ago. Almost 2,000 years of Bible prophecy being read by believers. They would read this and what would they do with it, okay? There were some honest commentators back in the day that would say, hey, we look at these passages of scripture, we know that God's promised to bring Israel back into the land to re restore them and that all these nations would come together against her. That's going to happen someday. And it's so cool that it's been just in the last century, we've seen them come back into the land we see all the nations surrounding them wanting to come against her. Um, anyways, it's just cool that we get to read this and actually see, yeah, this actually could happen. It is happening. Um, so we see here, verse 2 again, For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. The houses rifled. The women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off 
from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives, it shall split in two from east to west. Okay. We were standing on the Mount of Olives. Okay. Um, last year. And there you could see the Dome of the Rock, Jerusalem. Okay. All the inhabitants there. Okay. Back in the land and sitting there on the Mount of Olives, knowing that, hey, there's, Jesus is going to stand right here. I mean, the coolest thing. And that the earth is going to split from east to west. And it's so cool. Um, there's a huge earthquake fault line that runs north and south right there on the Mount of Olives. So if that one day would happen to go and split hmm, east and west, pretty cool. Anyways, um, but anyways, making a very large valley right there. Half of the mountain shall be moved uh, towards the north and half towards the south. And then you shall flee through my mountain valley for the mountain shall reach uh, to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord, my God, will come in all the saints with you. Wow, cool. Look at verse six. And it shall come to pass that in that day that there will be no night and the lights will diminish. And it shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that the living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be. The Lord is one. And his name is one. Verse 10. And all the land shall be turned into a plain from Gibeah to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and then inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate. And from the tower of Hanel, the king's wine presses, the people shall dwell in it and no longer shall be utterly or be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Wow, that day is going to come. And that's why we pray for the Prince of Peace to return, because until he comes, returns, there's not going to be peace in the Middle East there in Jerusalem. Even in our time there, man, we saw, you know, the Jews, Arabs, people actually from all over the world, you know, but there, there's, there's tensions going on. Okay, they're patrolling, they have military in the streets because they never know, you know, when, you know, a fight's going to break out, when war will start. So they are ready in that place, but it's going to be a day when Christ returns where they're just going to dwell safely. Everything, there's going to be restoration, okay, of Israel. And that involves a few things. Uh, if you guys consider the restoration of Israel, and we're almost done here, um, there's got to be the physical restoration, okay? Return to the land. And if you're taking notes, you can jot down Deuteronomy chapter 30. The first 10 verses speak to that. Earlier in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 into chapter 12, verse 6. And then Matthew, Jesus spoke to it there in chapter 24, verse 31. So there is going to be 
the return to the land. Okay, God's promised it. We've seen it before our own eyes. We see today millions and millions of Jews returning to their homeland from all over the world. It's so cool seeing Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. Also, the possession of the land. Okay, earlier in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 42, 43, and 44 speak to that. And we also see it in chapter 36, verses 28 to 38. Good read there. And I'd encourage you guys, read 36, 37. Okay, it gives a little bit of context and clarity as we move into the Magog invasion there in 38 and 39. Um, also, it began with, you know, early in the last century, okay, this began to happen. Okay, we know of Zionism, people returning, the floodgates then opened uh, May 14th, 1948, right? That's when they got their national identity. They are back. The Jewish people are in the land. <laughs> Israel is now a nation again. Uh, and ultimately, it's going to be fulfilled in the millennium when Christ returns at the end of the Great Tribulation. Okay, uh, there's going to be 1,000 years. He's going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Okay. Um, but the second aspect, okay, is the spiritual, okay? Uh, we read in Jeremiah 31 of the New Covenant, okay? Um, my law is going to be within them, okay? God promised to forgive their iniquity. What a beautiful thing that we have in Christ. And that's only found in Jesus. It's the only way we can be forgiven, be born again. And that's not just for the Jewish people, guys. This is also for the rest of the world, okay? All... Nations are going to be blessed through Israel. We know that prophecy there in Genesis chapter 12. And that's because through the seed of Abraham would one day come the Messiah. Okay. Not just to save his own, the Jewish people, but all peoples to be that sacrifice for all sin, for the whole world. And I don't know where you stand with them. I sure hope you put your faith in him. I would encourage you pick up the Bible, read the claims of Jesus Ah, uh, man, he is it. He is the hope of this world. Uh, he's the hope for the Jewish people today, even though they rejected him. He hasn't given up on them. Um, that's why replacement theology is so bad. If you guys want to uh, dig into that a little more, I would encourage you to go to part one of this study that we've done on why Israel matters and why we can't write her off. And this is why it's so important as we're studying through Romans to understand as we get into chapters 9, 10, and 11, that God's not done with Israel, okay? Um, and we see him playing that out. So there's that spiritual aspect. Uh, there's a national judgment that comes that we see uh, is a spiritual thing uh, in Ezekiel 20 verses 34 to 38. And then there's the national regeneration, which we're going to see in Romans chapter 11 verse 26. But we also see in the Old Covenant promise covenant uh being prophesied in there in jeremiah 31 uh verse 31 to 34 so i want to leave you guys with one last scripture from zachariah here um it's in chapter 14 again verse 16 this time i think you can actually probably make it out here on the screen behind me it says and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king. And who's that king? Well, it's the king of kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So instead of coming against Jerusalem, okay, the nations will come to worship 
King Jesus. I think that's cool. We can talk a whole lot more prophecy concerning Israel and what yet to come. But I think, guys, this is the coolest reality that all nations, all people, though they may hate God's people today, want to come against her. Though Satan wants to do away with the Jewish people, with Jesus all together, they're going to come and worship him one day. I think that is so cool. So I appreciate you guys hanging in there. A um, little different, you know, taking this uh, in on a screen, but that's one thing I love. The word of God is the word of God. So I encourage you guys, take it in, be diligent to study God's word to show yourself approved to him, okay? And we do that by rightly dividing the word of God. And it's so cool as believers that we are living in the day, the time, this part of history, okay? To be able to see these things unfolding right before our eyes. That makes me definitely want to redeem the time. That definitely makes me want to be uh, living for the Lord because we don't know how long we have. I don't know, you know, we might have uh, decades yet, okay? There's a lot of things that God uh, desires to do because we know his heart, okay? We know his heart is one that desires none to perish, okay? And there are a lot of people, he's long suffering for a reason, but he's going to come to the end um, really where his anger is aroused so much because we know that he's abundant in mercy. Okay, He's been pulling out that mercy. But I just think about how much hatred there is towards God today in the world. And I'm not just talking these Muslim nations. We can look at even in our own backyard. We are a rebellious people. We have turned our back on God. We are willing to believe anything but truth. You know, we're offended at truth instead of embracing truth. I mean, it's just crazy. The gospel offends people. That there is a God that loves you so much that he was willing to become a man, to become a sacrifice, to take your place, to die upon a cross so you could be forgiven of your sins, that you could be born again in the spirit and given eternal life to have heaven awaiting you. The good news of Jesus Christ is very offensive to the world today in which we live. Um, yeah, and yet he is long-suffering, but that will come to an end, guys. So we look forward to that day. That's why we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I really, really hope and pray, guys, that this study through uh, why Israel matters, um, it's in his word, it's doctrine. Doctrine matters for a reason. We need to get it right. Uh, because it impacts the way we live um, and how we live out our faith. So I want to encourage you guys, uh, be on mission. Be praying, sharing the good news of Jesus. This world needs to hear. Um, we're living in exciting times. So, um, yeah, it's good to be in his word with you guys this morning. Well, maybe it bless you guys good this week. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be in person next week as we jump into Romans chapter 9 together. I just pray you guys go forth in the power and the might of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that his spirit really would lead you, that you'd be in step with him. And Father, that is uh, our desire. I pray and ask that you would open our eyes, help us to see you, to be close to you, God. We pray for uh, our church family. So love these guys. I know that you love us so much, Lord. We have good in view. You have purpose uh, for each and every one of us. And I just pray that you give us the wisdom, discernment, Lord, what that looks like, how we can go into 
love well, to love you, to love others in your name, Jesus. What a great name that is. You are truly the Savior of the world. Thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. We love you. I pray in your name. Amen. Cool. Well, God bless you guys. You guys are dismissed. Have a great day. Learn one another's names. That's why we got the name takes. Peace.